Welcome to The Forest Garden, a podcast for gardeners who want to upgrade their landscapes into biodiverse food forest systems. On today's episode of The Forest Garden, we are delving into the world of passion fruit. Passiflora is a genus of about 550 species of perennial climbing vines, so we certainly can't cover all of them in this episode. Today we'll be covering just a few species that Ben and I have personal experience cultivating, processing, and of course, consuming. The species we cover today will run the gamut from Chili Zone 6 all the way to Tropical Zone 11, so there should be something for everybody in today's episode. Stick with us. Hey there, podcast listeners. Today we have another In the Field episode for you. I'm recording live from my brother's food forest in Pololo Valley on the island of Oahu in Hawaii. He has a very extensive and diverse food forest that was already sort of pre-established when he bought the property. And there was also quite a bit of eucalyptus here, which is a technically an invasive species, that he thinned out the canopy of the eucalyptus, freeing up a lot of room in the understory for plantings of citrus and other young tree crops sourced from local organic permaculture nurseries. I'm currently looking up at a lychee tree that is one of the major dominant overstory trees in the landscape. But today's episode isn't going to be around tropical permaculture as an idea or as a concept. If you're interested in tropical permaculture in general, you could check back to our episode last season where I interviewed Adam Crow, who just so happens to be my brother-in-law, who lives in Papa'aloa, Hawaii, on the Big Island, which I will also be visiting in about a week. But anyways, today's episode is on Passiflora, the genus. There's more than one passion fruit or Passiflora species out there, which some of you may be familiar with or not, depending on where you live. On the East Coast, where, where I hail from in Zone 6, there's a species called Passiflora incarnata. Now, a few years ago, Ben put together a video where he made a tincture from the flowers of Passiflora incarnata. So we're going to just jump to that for a sec before we get back to the greater conversation about the Passiflora genus. What's going on, everybody? We're going to do a passion flower extract, a fermented passion flower extract. The first step is to collect your passion flowers. These are some beautiful passion flowers. It's, un- it's uncertain if this is like the regular Maypop variety. I believe it is, but this was not found wild in Tennessee, and it's actually Tennessee's wildflower is the maypop. It's middle of August here, you can collect them anytime, and don't worry, the plant will grow, like grows new, you can see one's coming up there, it grows new ones every single day. So if I collect all these, come tomorrow or the day after, there'll be a ton more flowers on it, so you're not really affecting anything. So I collected a bunch of passion flowers, probably have like a dozen here, and you just wanna make sure there's no bugs or dirt on them, um, and then I filled up a mason jar about halfway. And I'm just gonna place, Place them one by one, just right in there. And, and this, actually, this idea came as an accident a couple years back. I don't know why I put these in water. I think I was gonna try to make like some kind of like extract from them later on, but I ended up just doing water instead of alcohol. And then I forgot about it, and then I came back to it, and the purple color had like leached out into the water, and then also it fermented almost like a pickle. So I created this kind of like water kefir type of beverage. So I'm going to try to do that. And this is a lot more concentrated than I did last time. I probably only had like one, maybe two in the glass jar. And so this is probably about a dozen. So I'm like really packing them in there. 
So if there's any bugs in there, that would definitely cause problems, but it looks pretty cool. And we'll check back in a couple weeks, maybe a little bit longer, and see how this is doing. Okay, it's been just over a month, and we're gonna check in on our passion flower extract. As you can see, it's this dark, beautiful purple color. Now it's kind of maybe hard to tell, but it's a really vibrant color. It's really cool. Now at this point, I can probably remove the flowers because they've actually been stripped of their color. And even though there might be more medicinal compounds in there, for what we're doing, it's ready to open and actually consume or store. So I have a little tea strainer here that I'm putting in this wide mouth mason jar. Basically just hold the flower and pour that beautiful purple liquid right in. I'm try to get all of it as much as I can. I may go back and kind of squeeze some of the rest of that out and make sure I get all of it. What's really cool is like this stuff lasts a long time and it keeps its color. I did this last year. Uh, what's interesting though is that the flavor of this, if I were to take a sip, it actually has a pickly taste. I didn't use any salt or any sort of starter culture, but it has a, a pickly taste because I'm basically fermenting the passion flower. But I'm also getting all those medicinal compounds. I didn't know how powerful passion flower was until just yesterday when I actually took a sip of this stuff. And then an hour later I felt, you know, maybe it's placebo because that happens, but an hour later I felt like so relaxed, like more than I've ever felt in a long time. And it wasn't so much like a low energy relaxation. It was just kind of like a, uh, everything was all right. So. I'm going to keep experimenting and seeing if it continues to have that effect. And it probably, like I said, it's fermented, so it might have some probiotic benefits too. This is really cool. I've never seen this before as, as a beverage, but it's actually really, really cool and beautiful too. Sounds delicious. I probably have those Passiflora incarnata vines popping up back home in New England right now, although I'm not there to see them. But I, I've yet to actually make the tincture situation, so I'm really excited to do that. Ben really inspired me when we first talked about about his experience doing this. Out here, we might be making some pickled mango in the next few days, so pickled passiflora sounds equally exciting. Before we jump into taste testing some of the more tropical species of passiflora that are growing all over the place in the, the area that I'm recording in, Ben has some additional notes about his experiences growing passiflora in Tennessee and Missouri, and he grew them for a few more years than I have. So yeah, let's just, let's just dive in and listen. Hey everybody, what's going on? Ben here. Today we're going to talk about Passiflora. It's one of my favorite genera. It's a group of uh, vining species that grow in the tropics, the subtropics, and even into uh, hardiness zone five. So there's something for almost everybody. There's, of course, like I said, many different species. So if you're consuming anything other than Passiflora incarnata, the maypop, or Passiflora edulis, which is the, the common passion fruit, you want to look into it and, and see what you're working with. But they're, they're a really gorgeous group of plants. They're one of my favorite flowers. The flowers look just, they're just knockout. But anyway, so the, so the tip for growing passion flower, give it space. Uh, it's one of the fastest growing vines that I've come across that I've grown in my garden. And especially if you give it a couple years to really ramp up and lots of sun and lots of uh, water or rain, it can, it can grow just amazingly fast and can completely cover a chain link fence 40 feet, 50 feet down. And so you don't want to put it anywhere that you don't mind getting covered, especially as the years go on. But you can, of course, manage it. It's uh, relatively easy to clip back. But, you know, if you want to grow it and you really want to get a lot of flowers, a lot of fruit, a lot of foliage, 
give it some, give it a trellis, not just a little tomato cage size trellis, give it a really large, you know, object to grow on. And that, and the easiest way to do that is to plant it near something that's, that already exists on the landscape. And if you have an established tree, uh, that could work. Although if it's in the shade of a tree, it's going to, it's going to grow a little bit slower. So if you have something that maybe even a dead tree, that might be perfect for, for passion flower to grow on. Or like I said, a chain link fence or, or a trellis if you have one. And then the second tip that I have is to use all the parts. So, you know, when I first grew passion flower, the only reason why I grew it was because I wanted passion fruit. But then I really fell in love with the, the flowers. They're just, to me, they're hypnotizing. And there's so many different things I could talk about when it comes to why I like the why I like the plant. But even with the flowers, not only are they beautiful, but uh, you get tons of them. You could harvest them, you could pick them every day, and then the next day there's just going to be more. Um, so they, it really doesn't quit. And it, and at least the variety I was growing, the Incarnata by Sinicata hybrid incense passion flower, yeah, it would just, from spring to fall, just be flowering profusely. And so, you know, anytime I went in my, out in my garden, I got to enjoy the flowers. And of course, the bumblebees really, really loved the flowers as well. Uh, it was one of their favorites in the garden that I had back in Tennessee. And they'd actually fall asleep on the flowers. And I don't know if, if exactly why they, they fall asleep on that plant in particular, but I have a feeling it has something to do with the next point, which is the foliage of the passion vine, passion flower, however you want to call it is an anti-anxiety uh, natural remedy. It has an ingredient, it has compounds in it, um, but that have been recognized as anti-anxiety compounds in plants. I mean, we all, there's plenty of other herbs like uh, valerian or um, skullcap that have uh, kind of relaxation properties to them, but I don't know if any of them have actually been recognized, but Apparently, the ones in passionflower are very similar to benzodiazepines. So, but whenever I take uh, the passionflower extract from the flowers or from the leaves, I just get a pretty nice sense of well-being. It helps me sleep, helps me relax. I don't do many herbal remedies, but I have a big jug of uh, passionflower extract. I did an alcohol and water extract, which is a little bit different from the, the video that I have on a water extract, but they both work pretty similarly. But the alcohol extract is going to last quite a bit longer. And then finally, the fruit. I guess I'll just kind of go into my experience growing them. The hybrid, the incense hybrid with, with the purple flowers in Tennessee. Unfortunately, I never really got much fruit off that variety. It would flower profusely and a couple of those flowers would, would pollinate, but the fruit would never ripen even in late into October, November, just sort of sat on the, uh, the vine and never produced anything. Meanwhile, the wild maypop species, the, the Passiflora incarnata, produced lots of fruit and it flowered just about the same in terms of uh, timing, uh, maybe didn't flower quite as many flowers and, or, and they weren't quite as beautiful as the, the incense hybrid that I was growing, but the wild ones in the area produced a lot more fruit, uh, sweet, very flavorful, good quality. And absolutely delicious in jams or jellies. In the southeast, I guess, you know, there's quite there's quite a bit of those. So thank you, Ben, for such an incredible Passiflora Incarnata deep dive. From this point on of the episode, we're going to dive into some of the other Passiflora species that are much more common in the tropical zones. If you are someone who's 
a listener of this podcast and you're a little bummed out by how frequently we talk about cold, hardy climates and things in zone six, zone seven, zone five, you know, well, now's your time to shine. We're, we're, we're covering Passiflora and we're not covering every species of Passiflora, but we're going to talk about a few that are some of the most common species like Passiflora edulis, which is a tropical species that is very prevalent out here in Hawaii, where I'm recording this episode. I don't know if you guys can hear all of the different bugs and birds in the background of the food forest that I'm standing in recording this, but there's, there's quite a few. And yeah, the, the Passiflora edulis is the most common Passiflora species out here, but it's a little confusing because there's different there's different varieties within the within the species. So Passiflora edulis has a purple lily koi. Sorry, lily koi is the Hawaiian name for for passion fruit. So there's a purple passion fruit, and then there's also a yellow common passion fruit. But then there's also a yellow passion fruit that's in Hawaii and in many other tropical zones that is an entirely different species. And the way to tell that apart is really by the rind. So the Passiflora edulis has this very circular form with a hard rind. And the yellow common passion fruit of of the species of Passiflora edulis is kind of tart. It's not super, super sought after. It has, you know, there's still cultivars of it, but even the cultivars sometimes have a little bit of a uh, a tart taste to the, the point that people don't totally love it or some people love it i mean I, I can't speak for everybody passiflora is a very loved genus and every species within the genus i mean there's there's dozens of hybrids out there there's passiflora cerulea or cerulea back in the home stretch of the new england that you can grow that has poisonous leaves and poisonous flowers but beautiful flowers it's more of an ornamental and Theoretically, you can eat the the fruits that 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 species creates, but really, it's more of a an ornamental an ornamental passiflora. And all over the place, there's passiflora species that are are ornamental. We're really not going to dive into every single passiflora species to cover, but look, for this episode, we're really going to just talk about some of the more common edible kinds that you can find in you know the tropics and on the east coast. The for the East Coast Passiflora incarnata really is the go-to, and Ben, you did such an amazing job running down everything about the species that is so fantastic. It's really amazing how you can eat not only the fruit but the leaves and the flowers. Personally, I've had the flowers in salads, and I'm excited to pickle them and make, you know, uh, medicinal sort of relaxation drinks out of them. I've yet to do that, and I'm very excited. I heard about a couple down in Kentucky that are doing sort of a 10-year-plus selection project where they are selecting for the best, largest, most tastiest fruits of Passiflora incarnata, where you are, you get the flowers and you get the leaves as edible, amazing, delicious salad greens, but you also get really big, really tasty fruits. And sometimes that's not always true of the Passiflora incarnata species you know sometimes the the fruits aren't super tasty but anyways i'm getting way off track here let's get back to the tropical stuff so back to passiflora edulis out here in hawaii it's a species that has grown all over the place it, it, it's it grows wild you'll be walking through the jungle and you'll see some lily koi hanging above you or some passion fruit hanging above you and more often than not it's passiflora edulis and it's the common yellow 
passion fruit. But sometimes it's the Jamaican lily koi, which is Passiflora laurifolia. And that's the one that everyone seems to really like out here because it's like really sweet. It doesn't have any tart flavors. It just overall, it's always going to give you this amazing flavor experience. The experience of biting into a purple Passiflora edulis with that like magenta rind and it's it's more circular. It's not as oblong and the, the rind is a little bit thicker. Yeah, I don't know. That was my first experience and just biting into it and sucking out all those seeds and there's just like this aroma, there's this beautiful aroma, that this perfume that erupts into your, it's just like, it just totally encapsulates the experience. I feel like there's something really special about both species. So we're going to do a taste test and figure out exactly, you know, we're just going to get to the bottom of, of the bottom of this thing and maybe investigate it a little bit further. So the most common Two species on the islands out here are Passiflora adulis and Passiflora laurifolia, the latter being the Jamaican lily koi, which everybody seems to think is the better of the two. I have both of them right here, and I was going to do a little taste test. The first time I ever got exposed to lily koi, it was in Hawaii when I was about 10 or 11 years old. And uh, I was just, I kind of fell in love with the, this, this, you know, tropical passion fruit, which just kind of blew my mind that such a thing existed coming from living in the east coast where i didn't think we had anything like that but little did i know we did and now now i grow it at home so okay so here we go let's the first the first that we're gonna dive into is the the species the jamaican lily koi that everyone seems to think is the tastiest and the sweetest of the lily koi out here so yeah it's very sweet. It doesn't have any real tart notes to it. The thing about <laughs> lily koi is that you don't eat the skin. You take a bite into the skin and then you just suck out the seeds inside. And the seeds are coated with this very like flavorful sort of gelatinous coating. And then, and then you just swallow the seeds. You don't chew them. It's kind of an unusual eating experience. For those of you who maybe have never had passion fruit before. Okay, now let's try, let's just try the Passiflora adulis now. So yeah, a little bit more tart. Kind of has the more standard flavor of what you would expect. It's, the flavor is like a little bit more complex, I guess, in terms of... Uh, what you and it has a, a more distinct aroma if you ever get a Passiflora drink out here in Hawaii I feel like this is what the flavor is like this is what the flavor that they took and they transformed into beverages and different tasty treats or if you ever have lily koi butter it's, it's a more complex flavor I feel like I like the Adulis better the, and once again the difference is that the, the Adulis is like a little bit bigger it's purple or magenta, kind of red, with little spots all over it, little sort of white-ish, grayish spots all along. And then the, the Jamaican lily koi is just this orange or yellow. The one I'm holding is rather orange, but usually I feel like they're, they're called like yellow passion fruit. That one doesn't have any spots, and it's smaller and a little bit sweeter. But I don't know. I, I feel like I like the one that is the more common one better of the two. 
And comparing these to the to the species that I grow back home, I feel like the 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 flavor of Passiflora incarnata is just a lot more subdued, and the fruit is considerably, you know, is is half the size of Passiflora odulis, and a about two-thirds of the size of the Jamaican lilikoi. And then these aren't the only species that are available on island or in tropical climates. If you are in southern Florida, I'm sure there's there's dozens of species of Passiflora out there, more than dozens. There's there's a lot. And lots of and most of them have edible fruit. Not all of them have edible leaves or edible flowers though, and so you have to be careful. In any case, they're such a, such a beautiful species flowers will attract bees and they'll kind of conk out on your flowers getting nectar drunk which is pretty fun to watch you can pet pet bees on your on your passiflora flowers in your landscape because they get so sleepy and drunk on the nectar that you can just walk up and pet the pet the bumblebees which is a fun activity if you have kids the other day i was visiting a permaculture property in waimanalo that had a species i'd never heard of or seen before with these passion fruits that are the size that were the size of my head. And that one is called Passiflora quadrangularis, the giant granda granadia, or giant tumbo. It has a lot of names, but it's it's another passiflora, another passion fruit on, on island is called Lily Koi. And this this is the giant Lily Koi. It's huge. It's as big as uh, as big as um, a grown man's head. And I did not get to taste test that one, but I'd like to. Hey there, podcast listeners. Just a quick note from the studio. Apparently, the quadrilingaris flesh and skin when cooked as a vegetable has even more potential than the actual fruit inside of it, or should I say the pulp inside of it. All of this I've gathered from my brother-in-law, who's way more well-versed in tropical species here in Hawaii and he basically said that the the flavor is kind of like watermelon rind-esque and there's a number of different ways of cooking it and preparing it but I am a total fan of pickling watermelon rind so in the future I'm super excited to pickle some of the quadrilingaris uh, skins or should I say Ryan's after saving the seeds to grow some of my own and I don't know my mind is just blown I'm in this passiflora world of experience and I just can't get out of it so let's let's continue on in the in the podcast episode where I was recording things without fully understanding the the quadrilangaris flavors it looks like it has a really thick skin so I wonder how thick the rind is compared to these like you know, the, the interior, how much actual seeds and fruit there really is. Because what you're eating is, you know, all these species, what you're eating is the seeds, and you're basically just sucking them dry of the seeds. So, yeah, I don't know. That one would be interesting to try out. So, yeah, if you're interested in growing this, uh, any sort of passiflora in your landscape, do your research, because on the East Coast, at least passiflora incarnata, it can be somewhat invasive, although I don't like that word, but, you know, it can... It can kind of take over your garden and start popping up everywhere. It shoots out underground, really long, sort of, sort of like underground stems all over the place that shoot up in areas that you never expected them to, and that can be annoying for people who have very meticulously designed landscapes. 
personally, I don't mind it. I put it somewhere where there's, it's under a trellis and it's going to totally take over the trellis and pop up in places I don't, <laughs> didn't expect it to pop up, but that's fine because then you can just, you know, cut off the young stalk and propagate it, give it to a friend or eat the leaves or whatever. So couldn't be the worst. It's not, or it could be much worse than uh, having a, such a useful plant that appears in your landscape. And yeah, and if you're in tropical zones, check out uh, Passiflora laurifolia and Passiflora adulis. They're, they're both wonderful, delicious, just incredible vines that will, uh, if you have a fence or an arbor for them to climb, just really kind of sets the tone for the landscape. So just some, some notes about these, the difference between some of these species that we've been talking about. Please excuse the rooster in the background that is so rudely interrupting this podcast. I tried to chase him down and he evaded me because uh, roosters run much faster than I do. And uh, it's just a, it's just a thing out here in Hawaii that there's roosters all over the landscape and they'll wake you up at 4.30 in the morning. And uh, yeah, good stuff. So <laughs> so talking about the some of these different Passiflora species. For the for the reference, I'm going to be using Ken Fern's Plants for a Future as um, the basis of of all this information. Really great database that you all should check out. So for for the Maypop vine, which is Passiflora incarnata, it's hardy. Or well, Ken Fern lists it as hardy from zone seven to eleven, but I believe that it's much hardier. I know people who grow it all throughout zone six and some some occasions it, it does naturalize in zone five although i believe it needs a bit of a warm microclimate in zone five to to get established so the the medicinal effects is that it's sort of a mild sedative it's a anxiety reliever and a, sort of a sleep aid it's you know tasty and edible and all on all the ways that we mentioned before its habitat is that it likes to grow in sandy thickets and open soils or by fields, roadsides, fence rows, and thickets, according to Ken Fern. The flowers are really, really astonishing on this plant. They're a deep purple. And there's also, there's also a hybrid species that has white flowers. That one's called Passiflora incarnata alba. That one I have had a really hard time getting cuttings or a propagated plant of. There's only a few folks out there who who had uh, been growing it and distributing it at their, you know, nurseries. And then I believe that maybe it didn't sell well or people didn't like it as much as just the standard species. I don't know, but it's it's kind of hard to find. But the standard Passiflora incarnata is this beautiful purple, purple passion flower that grows to be about the size of the palm of your hand. And it's just, it's just stunning. I mean, I, I, it'll be hard for me to describe it if you don't look up a photo. It's just like this beautiful, beautiful dark iridescent purple that is uh the sort of why ben when he made that concoction turned out to be a purple drink you know all the all the purple seeped out into the water alcohol of the tincture that you make with this plant for it to use it as a sleep aid and you end up with this crazy iridescent purple liquid really amazing it's it prefers well-drained soil but it'll handle light or medium, heavy clay, you know, sandy loam, and prefers mildly acidic soil. It, pref- you know, it prefers a, a moist but well-drained soil, which is what every plant 
prefers. I found that it'll grow in a variety of places and wet spots and dry spots and it'll take it, it'll take over in in moist meadows, wet meadows. It'll really spread it so long as it it's sunny and it is it is somewhat it is somewhat shade tolerant as well in my experience. It's not, you know, not not really a heavy shade kind of kind of plant, but light medium shade dappled shade it'll it'll thrive people make jellies and jams out of it but more often in the south i feel like where these things grow everywhere in you know the southeastern united states it's in the southeastern united states it's a lot more common to find just growing along roadsides as compared to the northeast where the only time you're really going to find it is at a botanical garden or something similar the native range for passiflora incarnata is eastern north america Virginia, Kentucky, down to Florida, and even out west closer to closer to Texas. For Passiflora adulis, it's USDA hardiness is from zones 9 to 12. Its native range is more closer to South America, Brazil, Paraguay, northern Argentina. It's not used as a medicinal plant nearly as much as Passiflora incarnata is, but it's really, you know, the, the flavor of the the pulp of the fruit is is so much more intense than Passiflora incarnata that it's sought after for that reason. And this is the one that's grown commercially more often. And according to Ken Fern, it's used, it's grown commercially in Australia and New Zealand, which is very cool. It's also, you know, the flavor of this specific fruit is what you'll find in, oh wow, it's really loud here because the bamboo is all bumping up against each other with this giant gust of winds that come by. I apologize that my recording studio is a jungle right now, but uh, this is just the situation that we're in. It's, it's funny because I've never seen bamboo where it's like the young shoot of a bamboo that's 30 feet tall, but it looks like a giant stalk of asparagus. The top of it is just like this asparagus head that <laughs> is, uh, is really kind of wild. The, uh, the painted bamboo it's kind of zone that I'm in right now, it's all, it's all technically an edible bamboo species, but... It's just uh, a little bit bitter. And the, around it, there's just this uh, pothos, like, which out here is considered to be annoying and invasive, and it grows everywhere, which on the East Coast, people pay like $30 for a small plant at your local nursery for. There's beautiful variegation on these leaves, but this pothos is just totally taking over the forest and growing everywhere, growing up all the bamboo. And it's really beautiful, it's really nice, but in terms of having a forest garden, it's not the most ideal. Okay, we're going to go back to the Passiflora because the, the bamboo is now settled down and it's not making as many noises. So, so back, to, back to Passiflora. The Jamaican lily koi, Passiflora laurifolia, also called the yellow granadilla. This one is, has a USDA hardiness of 10 to 12. And apparently it, its leaves are poisonous. So completely, you know, this, this is why you have to be careful in the species is that Passiflora incarnata is like, it seems like everything about it is edible, but that's not always the case. Every, every species is a little bit different. Some of the flowers are, you know, on one species will have edible fruit, but the flowers are not edible and the leaves are not edible, etc. It's uh, native ranges South America, Brazil, Peru, Venezuela, the Guyanas, and like into the Caribbean. Probably why it's called the Jamaican lily koi. At least that's why, what it's called here. The fruit that it produces apparently have really high vitamin C content and... Its other common names are apparently water lemon and the orange lily koi, which, you know, I know it as the Jamaican lily koi, so I think the common names are really, really will change no matter where you are. And once again, it has a similar sort of, it wants to grow in some of the same places 
that all other liliquoid species do, but seems pretty tolerant of a variety of soil types and shade conditions. Climbing up to find the sun on uh, your, your native trees or whatever you have on your landscape. Okay, so guys, the last species that I want to talk about today is also another tropical species that I just was introduced to the other day out here in Hawaii, and it's called the giant lily koi or the giant granadilla. Every culture has a different name for it, but it's Passiflora quadrilingaris. And this is the largest passion fruit in the entire genus. It's like the size, I mean, the ones I saw the other day were as big as my head, and I have a pretty big head. It was also as big as my brother's baby. It's almost, you know, it's like a almost a football-sized fruit. Looks like a melon, but it's in the the passion fruit family. And it also kind of has the same sort of properties as a melon, except with a melon, you often don't eat the seeds, you know, like if you have a cantaloupe or something or whatever, but you cut this guy in half and it's got a huge, really thick rind and the, the, the rind itself is edible and it's you can make jams and stuff out of the rind. You can also just cook the rind or bake it and there's all different ways of preparing it it seems like that's kind of the the thing that people really like about this one is some, maybe the rind more than the pulp itself but the pulp is also edible i can't comment on the the taste of the pulp because i didn't fortunately i didn't get a chance to try it but it does look like a pretty freaking epic epic fruit to be growing in your food forest because whereas every other species of lily koi or of passion fruit that i've encountered you know it fits in the it fits in your hand basically it's like you know, fits on the palm of your hand, but this is, this is something that's, you know, seven, eight or nine inches tall and, and five or six inches wide that you can barely hold on to kind of really, really cool species. And in terms of it's, it's also, you know, it's a tropical, so it's one of the other tropical ones. It's USDA hardness is 10 to 12. It's found in a lot of the same places in natural habitats, like floodplains or in, in rainforests all across the world, really. It doesn't have a native range that is really well known, which is interesting. It's one of those sort of mystery, you know, its origins are, are unknown. <laughs> I'm very excited to get to taste it, hopefully on this trip. If not on this trip, then a future adventure visiting my family out here. And just, just yesterday, I seeded out a bunch of these different varieties of passion fruit that that we've been talking about in this episode into little grow pots and if you're interested the way that you do that the way that you save seed from any all these different species of of passion fruit is that all the seeds like when you dig when you dig in you bite into a lily koi there's the the juice of the lily koi which you immediately suck out because it's the best it's, oh, it's so good and then there's all these little seeds and little seed pods and that's usually what you suck on and you swallow or you could crunch them you can munch on them and crunch on them a little bit but you know the seeds are edible but if you want to plant them you have to separate the seeds from the seed pod the little gelatinous coating around it and so to do that there's a few different ways you can do it i mean you can put it in a plastic bag and in with water and just kind of like really thumb away all of the coatings what i decided to do which is maybe not the best method is to you know just kind of get it in my mouth and, and with my teeth, take off all the little coatings, like one by one, which, and then just spit it out directly into the pot, which was a f interesting sort of meditative experience, but maybe not the most time efficient. <laughs> uh, 
but basically, you know, you got to separate the, the pod from the seed if you want to grow it from seed. And in terms of germination, I mean, it probably it's probably something like a 50% germination rate. So I was putting two or three seeds per little cell. You know, you'd be surprised that how one fruit, how many seeds can be in one fruit to replicate and to, to grow. And then those will probably be planted around my brother's forest garden at the bases of trees where they'll have some compost planted around them to give them the sort of nutrient boost to climb all the way up the tree until they hit canopy where they can get some sun. And that's something that's really cool about it. You know, it's a, it's a vine that is not going to totally kill or, you know, just strangle your trees. It's going to sort of live in harmony with them and reach to the top of the canopy and get that sun and then drop amazing fruit off of what already could be a fruit tree in your landscape. So in terms of designing vertically in food forests, it's a really, really great candidate for that. Just a note about that method of planting at the basis of trees in the forest garden you know planting you're you're always kind of running the gambit when you plant vines to grow up established trees and lilikoi is definitely one that can get to the top of the tree and then really take over a canopy area not letting light in for the the trees below it which of course is going to mess with yields of other plants and maybe not be the best thing for you but the important thing to note is that the the vines of the passion fruit out here in the tropics and also this is this is kind of true of some of the cold hardy species too but those will die back to the ground but basically the you know the vine isn't it doesn't get so thick and crazy that it strangles your tree which is what really the important thing is whereas there's so there's i mean right now i'm looking at two other species just like that pothos and there's a different vine that i don't know the name of that will just really sucker on to your coconut palm or whatever and just yeah, create a really bad situation with this really thick you know thick as your wrist woody vine or vegetative vine that can cause some serious problems in the long run so yeah the whole vining up the trees idea is always kind of a, a concept in permaculture that is maybe not the best in every application you really have to be wary of what you're doing and Maybe if you have a isolated tree in the landscape that isn't providing any other sources of food, then that could be, you know, you could use it as a trellis. But it's also possible that any time that you send a vine up a tree, it's, it's not going to be the happy, you know, the tree isn't going to be super happy about it. It just depends on what you get out of it and whether or not you're also providing ecosystem services for other species like birds and, you know, whatever you've got going on in your ecosystem. So just something to consider that, you know, the, the vining up the tree idea comes with an asterisk next to it for sure. Something that's pretty common out here and one of the one of my favorite treats is lilikoi butter or lilikoi jelly. So lilikoi butter is just taking the, the seeds from or the pulp of the lilikoi fruit and mixing it in with just, you know, your store-bought butter or maybe homemade butter if you're really a badass, but probably more often store-bought. And then the flavors just intermingle in this amazing super delicious concoction that you can spread on your you know your bagel or your fresh bread for a breakfast treat and i just oh my god it's so good liquid jelly is a little bit different that's you know there's no butter in it obviously and so it's a little less uh melt in your mouth but still really really tasty and pretty common to find at gift shops and other stores in hawaii on the islands maybe something to order or to check out because the flavors are really unique and that might be a way for somebody who's never tried passiflora listening to to sort of get an idea of what the the flavor of the fruit tastes like really really special really unique really sort of sweet and a little tangy a little sour 
and for the most part, that's going to be Passiflora edulis that those sort of concoctions are made with. But yeah, check it out. If you've never had it, I, I hope that you guys have an opportunity to taste some of what we've covered today in this, in this episode. So yeah, thanks for sticking with us and see you next time, everybody.